Welcome to our 19th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your hosts, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Um, we're going to do some shout-outs for our Patreon users. Uh, we actually got uh, three new Patreon users. Yeah. Um, I think uh, at the Sherman level, we got Rick Schmidt. And Abrams level, we got Kevin Shin and uh, Mark Drake. And we give a big shout-out to those guys. Yes, a very huge thank you to our first patrons um, through Patreon. Don't forget, folks, you too can support our podcast by visiting our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash two tankers and cat. Now, what is some of our new Patreon uh, stuff that we're just releasing for Patreon users? I'm going to try to continue to get some drone video out there. We will get some more stuff uploaded, hopefully within the next few days or the next week or two. Excellent. And uh, if you uh, guys have been following us a little bit, uh, I and uh, Russell have just started to do, we've started to do some gaming um, on some of the battle tanks, uh, like uh, World of Thunder, or no, War Thunder, I apologize, World of Tanks, um, World of Warships, uh, World of Warplanes. We're playing these, and uh, we're have actually pl- platooning with our Patreon supporters and stuff like that. And if you want to come and platoon with us, uh, please just let us know and join the Patreon. We'll we'll get right on that. What are we talking about today, uh, Russ? Well, today's episode is going to be about tankettes and their role in World War II. I know we've, I've been talking about tankettes for off and on the last few episodes, and we're just going to kind of talk about the tankettes' role. Now, Andrew Hill, uh, I think he's the one that wrote the book on the TOG and a friend of the show, great guy. And uh, he pointed out to me the other day that he goes, you know, you hate the two-pounder gun, and you said it doesn't have an HE round. Well, it did. And uh, apparently, yes, the two-pounder had an HE round, but they never used it in combat. So it'd be like lighting a black hat firework and throwing it at somebody. Yeah, there you go, yeah. And then uh, he was saying, well, there's not really anything. There were real, no, not really any tankettes. And I'm like, well, okay, we're going to talk about really small tanks. Yeah. And we're going to call them tankettes. Yeah. So officially, I don't think we're going to be correct on some of these tanks. But we're talking about the little two-man tanks. And if you put them up against uh, today's A-rooms or, yeah. you know, any of the big tanks, you'd be going, what? Exactly. All right, what's the first tank you want to talk about? Yeah, the first one we're going to talk about is the Carden Lloyd Mark VI. The Carden Lloyd Mark VI in tankette was probably one of the most influential designs of the interwar. It was largely copied abroad, built under license, and adopted by 16 different armies throughout the world. 16, nice. 16 different armies, yeah. Now, we're going to have pictures of these little things up on our Facebook and stuff like that, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah we'll have pictures. Excellent. Uh, the Cardinaloid Mark VI, its direct legacy included the French UE, the Polish TK, Japanese TK, Italian CV, the Russian T27, a Czechoslovakian tank, T A N C I K. Uh, boy, we kill names. We, uh, we just yeah, kill names. Yeah. Somewhere over in Czechoslovakia, some of our listeners are just laughing at us. Uh, yeah, I'm sure no, they it's, are. It's just chest check tank. Yeah, but it's uh, the VZ thirty three. 
Yeah, that's the number designation for it. Anything else? And the Panzer One. No way. German Panzer One? Yeah. No, that was a funny looking tank. <laughs> the main reason of the Cardin Lloyd Mark VI's success was a mixture of affordable cost, easy production, maintenance, tra- actually transporting the vehicle, speed, and versatility. It was overall clearly reaffirming the concept of quantity over quality. Oh, kind of like, like our M4 Sherman. Yeah. <laughs> the tankette concept was a typical interwar product born in the fertile mine of Royal Engineer Major Gifford Lequesne Martel, who had already worked on the tactical development of tanks during World War One. He never stopped theorizing about future tank warfare, and eventually built into his own garage a very small tank with various commercially available parts. Nice. And therefore, the tankette was born. Uh, this tankette was seen mostly as a self-propelled skirmisher and auxiliary transport in a scout. It was first shown to the war office. The war office in turn contracted Morris to build four models in record time in 1925 for a new live demonstration and more tests, followed by eight improved Morris Martels to form an active evaluation unit. In 1927, Crosley also took the idea seriously, releasing a one-man tankette rolling on Kegras tracks in 1926. Several other companies also saw industrial perspectives in Martel's concept. One of these was the Carden Lloyd Tractors Limited, founded by John Valentine Carden and Vivian Lloyd. So he's sitting there working on a, the, his personal tank in the garage and then all the big businessmen are going, hey, we can make a couple of bucks. All right. Either by being well-informed or by making correct guesses of British Army potential specifications, the Carden Lloyd Company was the first to design a one-man tankette. It was thoroughly demonstrated at Kensington before the war office, which ordered a second test vehicle. Following this, they developed the Mark I and Mark I Star. The main differences between the two were the durability of the suspension system and increased speed. The next, Mark II, although overall similar, replaced the original 14 steel road wheels by four rubber bogies. The Mark III was nearly identical except for some improvements to the new suspension. And later on, they did a complete redesign of this concept. Original tank could be propelled by a light engine and was light enough to be transported easily. Now we get to remind our guests that are listening if they hear any thumps, bumps in the background, it's going to be our mascot, Lightning. Yeah. Uh, uh, Russ has built a uh, very big, I guess you call it cat tree, but it's a, where they can climb up pretty high. It's about, what, six foot, seven foot high? Yeah. And she is such a climber, and she'll be jumping around there. She's currently on the very top looking through the venetian blinds that she has tore apart yeah she's got her little hole in the blinds up there that she likes to look out and in the morning it's on the east side of the house so in the morning she'll sit up there and keep warm too in the sunshine so she's looking at the birds yeah (laughs) or the neighbor cats oh yeah but getting back to the tankette yeah they did do their complete redesign of that particular concept but it definitely lacked protection and effective firepower on the move. Uh, to cope with these issues, the only solution was, design, was to design a two-man tank. A single prototype was built, followed by the Mark IV, bigger, slower, more stable, with a more powerful engine, 
but sharing a rather similar, although reinforced, suspension. Some changes of that particular little tankette included the replacement of the upper track guidance bar by four small return rollers. So they were just saying there's too much for one man to do. Drive it, shoot it, everything. Sure, yeah. You're going to need a second guy. So the one-man tank's just not really effective. Yeah. Too much going on in the little things to gotcha. use the gun and, and well, drive it all at the same time, yes. All right. Talk about the new tank, at, uh, the two-man. Yeah, the new two-man tankette, conceived in 1926, had all the characteristics of a winner. And the crew, comprised as a driver and a machine gunner, which allowed each to be fully concentrated on his own task. The tankette could be used as a mobile machine gun nest where it was needed most, equipped with the most standard-issue water-cooled Vickers Caliber 303 7.62mm machine gun. Nice. Later on, a mount which allowed some traverse and a high-angle fire was tried. If you've never seen the water-cooled Vickers, um, you should go look at those. Um, They're actually very cool. Kind of old-looking, but I, I know... The Soviets used them, uh, British used them. I think we even used them there for a while. The Vickers Armstrong team entered the fray, and the famous brand took interest in Cardin Lloyd's prototypes by 1927. By 1928, an agreement was reached, and Cardin Lloyd was bought in March for a comfortable sum. So the Vickers people, you know, they're like, hey, uh, this is going to be a pretty good idea. Why don't we write you a big check? Exactly. John Cardin was named technical director. The ingenious pair designed their next and most successful model so far, the March 6. It started with a new model, powerful enough to be used as a light gun tractor as well, revealing all its potential. A smaller track trailer was designed for this task, and it was capable of carrying several different variances of of guns on it. The hull was slightly larger and longer, and the suspension had to be reworked, and this was the Mark V. It was the blueprint for the Mark VI, simplified for mass production and export. The Mark VI was a small, square-shaped, 1.6-ton steel bucket with an open-top superstructure. The driver sat on the front left, and the 303 machine gun, or 7.62-millimeter machine gun, which could be replaced by a heavier 50-caliber machine gun on the front right. Wow. A small compartment at the rear contained ammunition and spares. The Ford engine gave 40 horsepower at approximately 2,500 RPM, and the gas tanks were on the front. Top speed on the road or flat grass terrain was an average of about 25 miles an hour or 40 kilometers per hour, and the range was about 90 miles or 144 kilometers, and that was largely sufficient for a breakthrough in a World War I-style static front. Okay, so what they were going to do bust through mm-hmm. with some of their heavier tanks and they were going to send these little things racing through used as machine gun nests sure. and, and just clear out so the yeah. infantry can move up yeah good good plan the mark six's design was not static either the model would evolve into three distinct types until the end of production in 1935 the british army took over the bulk of it respectively 325 other sources talks about 348 of all models and versatile small tank companies. If the early production machine was open-topped, the next evolution meant for export was entirely protected. Its most distinctive feature 
were the two small domes protecting the crew's heads, and this was also the most widely exported version of it. <laughs> so you, they just stuck their heads up through the, or you know, where yeah, the domes, the domes sure. were. The last production model in 1930 was completely reshaped. Uh, the suspension and tracks were cut short, as was the hull, and now built with simple steel panels in a trapezoidal shape. And this was also simpler to build, much lighter, and this version was by far the cheapest of all and was the most produced by the Royal Ordnance Factory. Apart from scouts, machine gun carriers, and light gun tractors, these tankettes were also used as motor carriers and smoke projector vehicles. So the, they were actually used them for uh, like mortars. They could drop, you know, our, well, I guess it'd be a mortar shell and then use that. So it was a mobile m- mortar carrier yeah. and uh, smoke coverage for infantry so it had many uses i mean it was not only just a scout vehicle or a machine, machine gun, gun nest. nest and okay i mean it, it had many many uses that they came up with for it nice the Carden lloyd actually exported and went and licensed several types of the tankettes being the cheapest tank in the world at about one-third to one-fourth of the price of the french renault ft which we talked about in an earlier episode, too. Yeah, we've actually went and seen that up at yeah. the Liberty Memorial. Yeah. And if you're making that cheaper than that, the French tank, good Lord. Exactly. Like I just said, it was one-third to one-fourth the price of that particular tank, the French tank, and its derivatives. And thanks to Vickers, worldwide commercial antennas, the Mark VI was demonstrated to foreign commissions in 1928 to 1929 and many were bought for evaluation. You know what? That that's having a a brand name and having outlet dealers yes. and, and people that knew the name. Sure. And they're like, "Hey, come check it out! Our new mobile machine gun nest. Sure. You know, our little tank, or our little tankette." And they're demonstrating. And these people are like, hey, "You know what? We're going to be facing these. We might want to buy them and take a look at them." Yeah, several of the major industrial countries uh, would actually build their own variants and big numbers for example the french they build about 5000 renault ues the ussr they build about 3000 t27s italy they build about 2700 cv33s poland build about 690 tk3 tks's and japan they build about 800 tkis and czechoslovakia built about 74 vz33s wow so you know Here's a design, and these are the countries that probably knew they were going to be doing some wartime stuff. So they're like, you know what, we're going to buy these. Any other countries? Yeah, several other countries uh, would buy almost unchanged models. For example, Thailand, the Netherlands, Belgium, Finland, Greece, Siam, Bolivia, and Chile. Or they would build them under license, like Canada, India, and Portugal. The Chinese nationalists obtained 24 Mark VI tankettes in 1929, which are known to have fought in the Lungai front. By 1939, this was the most widely used tank in the world, especially fielded by small armies. All right. So, man, they were pretty significant to several different countries. I know in prior episodes when we talked about the tankettes that, you know, it was kind of a fad. Yeah. You know, they were wanting to do these quick, light. Sure. You know, mobile tanks. It was the cheapest way to go to mm-hmm. build a little armored tank on tracks and at the time. And several countries bought several of them. Even in the new our era now, 
the main battle tanks, when we're coming up with uh, something fast and mobile and stuff, like the strikers kind of changing the outlook, you know, these are, you know, fast, light armored that mm-hmm. can pin or go through a, a main battle tank. Yeah. So that's what they're kind of leaning towards, and they're sure. a lot cheaper. The Carden Lloyd tankettes saw quite a bit of action in several different areas of the world. Their earliest combat trial consisted of a few engagements during the Chaco War between Bolivia and Paraguay. That happened between 1932 and 1935. Most tankettes, alongside a few Vicar Mark E's, were sent to overwhelm the defenses of 14 Nanawa, duly reinforced by the Paraguayans in an episode called The Verdum of South America in July 1933. This ended as a defeat for the Bolivian army and its commander, former World War One veteran officer Hans Kunt. So they had these little tanks just racing around shooting at each other. Yeah. All right. Shoot, yeah. That'd been kind of neat to see, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Just That's a video you'll never get to see, I, I guess. Know. The second engagement came with British forces in May to June of 1940, opposing the German forces, alongside the more famous Bren carrier. Around 200 tank gets took part in the defense of the Dial Namur line in Belgium. Uh, some Mark Sixes, fielded by Dutch units, also saw action. Nearly all were left behind at Dunkirk. The remainder, former training vehicles and auxiliaries, were mobilized to face the awaited German invasion of the British mainland in July, August. So all these little tankettes they were using for training, and you know, and, and just pull stuff around they're like uh we might get invaded so they brought them up to the front use everything they could get their hands on Mm -hmm. later on at the end of 1940 and in january 1941 the franco-thai war saw most of the available thai mark six tankettes engaged against the french forces many were destroyed by artillery or gun armed ft tanks Later during the Balkan campaign, March through April 1941, Yugoslav and Greek Mark Sixes were also committed in action, hopelessly. Oh, yeah. Again, these little tanks weren't cut out for the big stuff. No, they weren't weren't to battle other tanks at all. They were to to go out and scout. And and, and when you tried to do a push with them against enemy artillery, ooh, no thanks. Many foreign-built tankettes saw action during World War II also. The Soviet-built T-27, the Italian CV-33, 35, and 38, the Japanese Tiki, Renault, UEs, under German colors, and most famously, 100,000-plus universal carriers throughout the British Empire. So 100,000 that the British had through all their colonies and, you know, well, like they say, the British Empire. Well, tell us some specifications about the uh, Carden Lloyd. Yeah, the Carden Lloyd Mark VI had a dimension of 2.46 by 1.75 by 1.22 meters, or 8.07 by 5.74 by 4 feet. That ain't much. Not not very <laughs> big at all. It probably had to be a couple of small dudes that was mm, yeah. sitting in this thing anyway. It had a total battle-ready weight of 1.5 tons. Which, like, is, which is nothing. Nothing, no. It had a two-man crew, a driver, and a machine gunner. It was propelled by a Ford T four-cylinder gasoline engine. So the old Ford Model T. Golly. Little four-cylinder flathead. And uh, 
running on gas. And what was the speed again? Had a road speed of 25 mile an hour or 40 kilometers an hour. On a track vehicle. Not bad. With no, yeah. A little bitty vehicle like that. With no shocks or anything like that. Man. Man, that's going to be a rough ride. It would be. Had a range of about 89, 90 miles, 144 kilometers. Wow. And like we talked about, it had an armament of just a 303-inch Vickers machine gun, which was 7.62 millimeters. And believe it or not, the armor was anywhere from 6 to 9 millimeters, or 0.24 to 0.35 inches. Enough to keep a yeah, it would. pistol round yeah. or some... Yeah. Okay. Maybe even some machine gun rounds yeah. if you were lucky. Yeah. And the total production of the Mark Sixes was about 450 in 1928 through 1935. Now, you said the Netherlands had bought some? Yeah, the Netherlands bought about five tankettes between 1931 and 1940. In 1928, the Dutch-English Technical Trading Company negotiated with Cardin Lloyd about the purchase of six Mark VI tracked vehicles, and negotiations lasted for three years until the Dutch Minister of Defense approved the agreement. All right. The Dutch Army paid about 10,000 guilders each for these vehicles, which comes out to approximately... $58,000 $58,000 U.S. dollars in 2015 values. So that's basically a nice car over yeah, here. Yeah, not bad, not bad. However, for unknown reasons, the factory could only deliver five out of the six vehicles that were ordered. Uh, these vehicles were assigned to the Corps Mobile Artillery. Uh, the vehicles were transported by a trailer bought specifically for this task for amount of another $2,300. Over long distances, it was planned that the vehicles would be transported on the back of a truck. So they're going to drive it out to where the combat or the front lines are and then let it go. It's still a good idea. The Minister of Defense wrote in a letter to the general staff that the vehicles were mainly meant to be used during domestic crises. As such, he did not want to definitely assign them to the field army, so they were withheld from the combined army exercises and were instead only used in small-scale exercise. So he doesn't want the Army to have them. He just wanted to use it for riot control. Yeah, for riot controls and stuff that comes up in their cities. Yeah. The vehicles received registration numbers, but the minister did not want to give each a tactical number, and instead he gave each vehicle a name. He actually named these five different vehicles. For example, he named one Puma and give it a designated designation number. Another one, Leopard. Another one, Lynx, Jaguar, and Panther. You know, I noticed that there's a lot of yeah. uh, Europeans that like naming their stuff after, uh, like, cats and cats, stuff like yeah. that. yeah, yeah. And we use, uh, we use generals like Abrams, yeah. Sherman, yeah. Uh, Pershing. It'd be interesting to go back and do some research on that, to be honest with you, on why they... True. If anybody out there knows, give us a holler. These five different tanks that the Netherlands actually bought did see a little bit of service during World War II. Uh, All five vehicles, although they started to show their age, were still in active use when, despite the neutrality of the Netherlands, the country was attacked by Germany on May 10th of 1940. At this time, two were located in Deventer, two at Walhaven Airfield, close to Rotterdam, and one was stationed in Amersfoort together with a Morris armored car. During the mobilization, their registration numbers were replaced by a distinctive black-lined orange triangle, which was also used by the Air Force. 
Unfortunately, not much is known about the vehicle stationed in Amersfoort and Deventer. However, information about the two vehicles at Walhaven Airfield is available. Uh, when the Netherlands was attacked on May 10th of 1940, German paratroopers were deployed above the western provinces called Holland. The main goals these paratroopers had to achieve were capturing the government and the queen and controlling the airfields. As such, the Walhaven airfield was also attacked. The Dutch army was already prepared for the German attempt to take the airfields, hence why they stationed nearly all their armored vehicles at the airfields. The airfield was first bombed at 3.55 a.m. This bombing put both vehicles out of action. On one of the tankettes, the steering gear was severely damaged due to the explosions, and the crew was forced to abandon the vehicle. Some dirt ended up in the machine gun barrel of the other tankette, and that was commanded by a second lieutenant. He immediately backed off and the crew tried to clean the gun. Just when they were done cleaning, the second attack started at 4.45 a.m., which also involved paratroopers. Some of them landed very close to the vehicle, so the crew tried to get away, but in doing so, the engine broke down. They eventually evacuated the vehicle and took the machine gun with them. Both tankettes fell in German hands, nearly undamaged. Wow. Well, they were ready for it and then just all... German tactics kind of took it out and they're like, okay, now it's ours. After the Netherlands surrendered to Germany, all five vehicles fell into German hands and what happened to them afterwards is actually unknown. They could have been used as captured tanks, but given that they were already nine years in service, they were probably just scrapped during the war. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, I know. You know, it had been great if they'd found those like in a dump somewhere and then we're able to restore them i hear you so hopefully our listeners out there actually believe in that tankettes do exist now i hope by now yeah in our version (laughs) you know you know these are the kinds of tanks that we're calling tankettes yes but we're going to get some people they're usually defined as a two-man or less but crew yeah with a tank yet but you're still gonna get some of our people writing in saying no 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 you're right um we were talking mostly europe um let's talk about the asian like the japanese yeah the japanese actually had several different types of tankettes um that they different variants that they made over the years they had the type 92 jau sokasha the type 94 tk the type 95 soki and the Type 97 Tiki. Uh, but out of those four variants of Japanese tankettes, I kind of want to talk just a little bit about the Type 95 Soki. Which was a weird looking tank. Yes. We, we've got to put pictures of that up. Yeah. Yeah, we'll find some pictures of it and, and how it was actually used. And the reason I want to talk about that is I know I am and I know Charlie is somewhat uh, interested in railroads and oh yeah we're big transportation like that Um, but this type 95 so key was an armored railroad car and tank it oh now that's funny all in one it had the niche ability to drive on both the ground with its tracks and on railroads with its retractable railroad wheels (laughs) i don't know but i would like to find out if there's actually any of those in museums or anything that Oh, I'm sure that not. Go out and check out. I don't know. I've never even heard of them. I never have either. So we're, what we're talking about is this Type 95 so key. could go out on its tracks, roll around, you know, go in the battlefield that way. Or 
load itself up on railroad tracks and go down the tracks like a railroad handcart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was technically classified as an engineering vehicle by the Japanese, and it was developed in response to significant Chinese guerrilla resistance campaigns around the railways in Japanese-occupied Manchuria, where the vehicles appeared to have seen most of their service. So the Chinese were doing guerrilla tactics and destroying you know railroad crossings and, and ties and stuff like that so the japanese were going to send these cars out to try and catch these gorillas oh i see now a small number were also fielded in burma and a handful were captured and reused by the chinese nationalists in manchuria at some point between 1937 and 1945 these Soki tankettes were later captured by the Chinese People's Liberation Army during the Chinese Civil War between 1946 and 1950 and reused by their new owners. So the Japanese built them, then the Chinese nationalists captured them, and the Chinese nationalists reused them against the communists, and, or the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army, and they captured it and then they reused it. Uh, at least it's getting used, yeah, I guess. True, very true. The Type 95 Soki was produced by the Mitsubishi Heavy Industries and Tokyo Gas Electric Industry, and production lasted from 1935 to 1943, but total production figures are somewhat unclear. Uh, again, we have done an episode on Japanese tanks that talk about the Tokyo Gas and Electric Company. Yes. Um, so if you want to find out some more about the regular Japanese tanks, you'll just have to go back to one of our later episodes. Yeah. The vehicle had a very sophisticated design, and it was loosely based on the Hago chassis, but featured tank tracks for the ground and retractable wheels for the railways. These retractable wheels were hidden on either sides of the tracks, below the hull, and as such, they were usually out of sight in photos. Oh, so we might we might be a yeah. t- it might be tough to for us yeah. to find a photo, but actually on the track. Yeah, or actually seeing the yeah the rail wheels. Yeah, it was reported that it only took about a minute to turn from railway to track mode, and only three minutes to turn from track to railway mode. And this could be done from within the tankette itself, uh, making the operation safe for the crew. So they could jump off the tracks go into the field all from inside they didn't have to get outside no uh that's a good idea when they're shooting at you yeah heck yeah like i said it it was a very well engineered device i mean pretty pretty sophisticated really was for that time it was also reported that the wheels could be changed to fit narrow standard and broad gauge railroad tracks um although the logo only makes reference to the tankette being able to fit on a narrow gauge tracks. Um, so it could be fitted to for all the different railroad tracks. Railroad that they tracks, had. yeah. The vehicle had only six millimeters of armor, except for the turret, which had about eight millimeters. Uh, this was just enough to defend against small arms fire, which was acceptable because Chinese guerrillas did not typically field anything larger than the usual small arms consisting of rifles and grenades. The tankette could carry a commander slash driver and about five different soldiers. The passengers were typically armed with rifles and sometimes a Type 11 machine gun, which would be shot from the various firing ports around the vehicle. The vehicle had no standard mounted armament because it was officially classified as an engineering vehicle. And if it were to receive a standard armament, the vehicles would no longer belong to the IJA's engineers 
but to their tankers. So the Imperial Japanese Army engineers were using this, and they're like, okay, it's not a tank, it's not a tank, so it's ours. But if they had of, it would have went to the Imperial Japanese yeah. tanks. Yeah. And that's uh, why they could not officially put any armament that, built that's, into it. That's yeah. pretty smart. What was kind of speeds on this thing? I'm curious. Yeah, top speed on the rails was up to about 45 mile an hour. And if towing a trailer, this was reduced to a mere 25 mile an hour. And on its tracks, it could reach up to about 19 mile an hour. And photos also show that several Soki tanks could link up in order to tow heavier loads on rails. So nice. So if it wasn't hauling anything and they had called for help, it could cook down there about 72 kilometers an hour, which is pretty quick not bad yeah and uh if it was towing a trailer that mm-hmm. carried you know extra artillery pieces or ammo or something like that slowed down to about 40 kph or 40 km um that's that's actually kind of cool yeah yeah it's pretty neat but when it got on its tracks it only did 19 yeah so yeah. that that slowed it down slowed it down so they it was probably built to use the train tracks to get between major cities and then get off right or be rushed to to a spot where they were having uh, gorilla problems all right makes sense they also developed some crane carrying vehicles um, that was built on the chassis of the soki for larger engineering operations Uh, this almost certainly being the type 2 riki but further information on this rare vehicle is is lacking there wasn't a lot of information about it so if you uh, our fine listeners have any information on the type two Riki. Um, we'd love to get the pictures or whatever information you have. And you can just forward that to us. Sure. We will give you a shout out on it. Um, talk about some of the combat it's off. Yeah. The vehicle is deployed primarily in Manchuria from 1938 uh, with an estimated 98 of the vehicles being fielded there. They were deployed in every railroad regiment, typically as a, guard vehicle or as a transport for munitions and equipment in non-combat roles photos show that several soki tankettes would link up to tow heavier loads so we might be able to find some photos of of that out yeah. there soki tankettes are also reported to have seen service during offensive invasion operations presumably railroad borne operations only right but this seems to have been very rare occurrence uh, even when used defensively, these vehicles were particularly troublesome for the Chinese troops of various armies and warlords that they encountered because none of them had any effective anti-tank weapons. Yeah, you know, when you're seeing something with 9 millimeters of uh, uh, armor, yeah. and you're sitting out there with pistols and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. old rifles. Just rolling right through your... your Soldiers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's not much you can do. you got to back off. Uh, one of these vehicles actually stands in Kabinka Tank Museum, uh, apparently captured by the Red Army in Manchuria in August of 1945 during the Manchurian Strategic Operation Offensive. We've got oh, I to get there someday. Oh. I mean, we're going to have to hit the lottery and, and oh, get millions. I know. But, uh, uh, yeah, that yeah. Kabinka's got everything. Yeah. You know, they'd capture stuff and they'd take it straight back there. Sure. Uh, and they call the Kabinka the Tank Museum, but it it's actually, I think, still a factory. Another vehicle was captured by the United States in Burma and was shipped back to the U.S. for further study. 
Yeah, but where's that? I don't know. That's a good question. You know what? That'd be a good question for our boy Rob Cohen down there at yeah. Fort Benning. If anybody knows where it's at, I'm sure he does. Like, hey, uh, Rob, where'd this uh, little tank go? Some of the specifications on the Type 95 Soki, it, it was about uh, 4.9 meters by 2.6 meters by 2.5 meters high on the railroad. That comes out to about 16.1 feet by 8.53 feet by 8.3 feet high. Uh, the total weight, battle ready weight, was about 8,700 kilograms, 9.5 tons. Uh, had a crew of just the commander slash driver and, and five passengers. Right. So basically it was a railroad armor personnel, personnel carrier. carrier. Good yeah. Lord. So, but without the crew, if they didn't have the passengers, it just like we said, two-man tank. Sure. Which we're saying qualifies for a tank hit. It was propelled by an unknown gasoline engine, about 84 horsepower, 2,400 RPM. It had a top speed, like we talked about on the tracks, at about 19 mile an hour or 30 kilometers an hour. And on the rails, anywhere from 72 kilometers an hour to 45 miles per hour. And we already said the armor was, what, six to eight millimeters? Yeah. But armament? None, because if it did, the engineers would lose it and it would go to the tank core. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the passengers were sticking out their personal rifles. They had ports for their rifles, yeah. And sometimes they put a that Type 11 machine gun on it. And total production was about 121 to 138. Now, I know we, we've talked about uh, the Japanese and some of the Europe, uh, upper Europeans, uh, French, Dutch, but... We've talked about this before, the Italians. Yeah. And, you know, I've made fun of these Italian tankettes. If we don't talk about the Italian tankettes, people are just going to throw rocks at us. I know. So tell us a little bit about the Italian light tanks. The Italian tankettes were developed first, like many other nations, in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, France provided the first tanks in the shape of the wartime Renault FT, which Italy copied and refined as the Fiat 3000. And later adopted the British Carden Lloyd tankette, although of limited value on the battlefield, were cost-effective and cheap to produce in mass. Uh, enough for filling reviews and for Mussolini to boast of his power to foreign journalists not keen on military matters. Uh, but as it was learnt the hard way in Africa, these vehicles were easy prey and were only suitable for scouting and as auxiliaries. Nevertheless, they provided the precious industrial experience basis upon which the Italian medium tanks were developed. Uh, the Italians had several different tanks that they designated light slash tankettes, light tank slash tankettes. Uh, they had the L5 slash 21, they had 100 units of those. They also had the L5 slash 30, they had about 52 units of those light, those light tanks. Uh, the L3 slash 33, they had about 1200 units of those light tanks. And the L335s, they had 1,300 units of those. That was their most common, or their most produced, I guess you would say, light tank. Now, all those basically had uh, just like the machine guns, like the Breda 7 point, I don't know, 7.9 millimeter, I think it was. Yeah. Machine guns. True, yeah. But I think the L335 had uh, twin machine guns on yeah. it. The L3-35 saw action. Uh, as of 1936, the Italian army had 14 battalions armed with CV-33-CV-35s. 
including flamethrower modifications. Uh, for a long time, they were regarded as infantry support tanks, and their shortcomings led to the 1934 program to construct uh, new types of vehicles. But the use of tankettes lasted until about 1940. Now, and I've got some personal pictures in my portfolio and stuff like that um, of the flamethrower little tankettes because they would actually carry a trailer that had just a little bit armor and it was full of gas and I was like oh wow can you be any crazier than two guys with a flamethrower tank carrying the gas behind you those two guys I would at least want it 50 to 100 yards behind me Mm -mm. somehow it was right on its rear Italian cavalry units were equipped with large numbers of the CV-35s. In 1935, they entered service with the Gruppi Squadroni, Carri Veloci, named San Giorgio, San Marco, and San Gusto. Uh, each had 61 tankettes and part of the organizational structure of mobile divisions. First blood was drawn in Ethiopia in late 1935 and later in Spain as Mussolini decided to support the nationalist forces with troops and some CV-35s. The first batch of five vehicles arrived August 16, 1936, and another of 10 on September 29th. Spain also ordered seven more and three flamethrower CV-35LFs. Uh, the first company was formed in September to October 1936 and paraded in front of Generalissimo Franco. Wow. So, basically, the Italians started fighting in Ethiopia. Spain, of course, was having the Spanish Civil War, and Mussolini wanted to help out the nationalists there, which was Franco, and uh, send some flamethrower tanks. The Italian Expeditionary Force received 155 CV-35 and flamethrower versions between December 1936-1937 and April 1938. Tankettes were again deployed for the occupation of Albania on April 7th to 12th of 1939. They were involved in the campaign for the Horn of Africa, starting on June 11th of 1940. On the Sudanese border, CV-35s of the Squadron Carri Cavalieri assisted the 4th Infantry Division. The whole 39-vehicle strength of the 1st and 2nd Companies of the 3rd Tank Regiment was lost until early 1941. Early 1942, in Yugoslavia, the Italian occupation forces um, used the tankettes to do some counterinsurgency, and several CV-35s helped to deter a partisan battalion, um, but the Yugoslavs staged an ambush the next day, claiming three of these tankettes. Uh, other tankettes tried to take some smaller villages, but were stopped by a barricade of stones, and two of them were actually damaged. Uh, the Yugoslav partisans managed to capture two CV-35s, and pressed them into service. In September, three more were captured and three more were donated by the Croatian Army guerrillas. The situation was also deteriorating rapidly in Dalmatia, where the 1st and 2nd Battalions of the 1st Tank Regiment were sent, fielding many tankettes. So the Italians used used that quite a bit. Used quite a few of these. But one of the problems, like yeah. they were saying, they Built, they just put yeah. stones out in the middle yeah, of the road and, and that's built up a stone stop. wall. That's all it took to stop them. I was about to say, it wouldn't stop a tiger. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Bless you. Right up there. Bless you. Holy moly. She sneezed. Yeah, during my research on, on these little tankettes for this particular episode, I did come across a very interesting article, which we'll probably put a link to on 
on our Facebook page. It, it well, hello, lightning. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Crazy cat. Now she's going to start rubbing the microphones with her head and everything. Oh, great. Come she's here. too needy right now. Yep. You go sit down and play. But anyway, this particular article is titled How a Lone Polish Cadet Rampaged Through German Panzers. And it's pretty interesting because this Polish cadet was actually in a tankette. And he's apparently, throughout the years of telling this story, you know, how narratives and everything get turned around through years and years of being told over and over. Um, But anyway, it was told that this particular Polish cadet in his tankette um, took out several German panzers with with, with the tankette. Now, are you talking about uh, Edmund Roman Orlick? I believe so. I believe you know, uh, World of Tanks has a medal about him. Oh, Orlick medal. Oh, Orlick medals. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he's the guy that jumped in this little Polish cadet and was just <laughs> making these German panzers just go crazy. Yeah. They kept shooting at him and shooting at him. Mm-hmm. And, it's a very interesting read. Like I said, well, holy moly, there goes my display. Cat. Lightning, what are you doing? You're not going to give up, I know. Yeah, I guarantee you don't want what's in that cup. So. Mm-mm. But anyway, yeah, it's a very, very interesting read. We don't really have time in this episode to go into it right now, but if you ever want to read a, an interesting article about these little tankettes and how the Polish used them against the Germans. I think she's going to tear your microphone down there. I know. I'm putting her back down on the ground. I keep forgetting about them back claws. Yeah. (laughs) She'll get you. But anyway, yeah, that's all I was really wanting to kind of mention was was this article. Well, that's the only reason I know about Orlick is because of the metal and world of tanks. Sure. And one thing that I did read um, was they were so mad at him and the command staff was like why aren't you shooting him and he goes it's tough trying to shoot this little cockroach <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so if you get a chance we will put a link up for yes. this one. Oh yeah you definitely it's want to read this very very interesting read and we apologize the cat is all she over is us going crazy right now she will not get off the table we're sitting at and... i kept telling you give her a big pile oh, of catnip in the corner and man. she'd been fine but I, I think we give this cat too much catnip. Yeah. It's starting to turn into a junkie. <laughs> like, hey, you guys don't give me catnip. I'm going to mess up your radio broadcast. <laughs> All right. So you want to go into the closing? Kind of want to go through and, and say, please reach out to us with your comments. Um, several ways to get a hold of us. Easiest way is two tankers and cat at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Um, search in the search bar at the top for Two Tankers and Cat Podcast. Repeating, Two Tankers and Cat Podcast. And that will get you to our Facebook page. That's where we put a lot of our links to about our shows, about the particular episodes we're putting out. We will put all kinds of pictures up there and everything that corresponds to each episode. And find the link to this Orlick guy. Yes, yes. This particular article. Very, very interesting read. Don't forget about our Two Tankers and Cat website you can get there at two tankers and cat.com oh and uh basically i've been streaming quite a bit on facebook and we've, we're gonna have some guests uh i think ed's gonna come on and uh i think sophie's gonna t- come on and uh we've got a uh, uh female gamer uh facebook gamer that's gonna help us out quite a bit so and our discord's coming up isn't it 
Yeah, um, still working on that. I think it's getting closer and closer. Uh, we'll be using that probably for our streaming, and and eventually we'll get some podcast or we'll do some interviews over Discord and record that for yeah. everybody. And but we're still working on it because we believe have- it or not, this is time consuming. Oh yeah, and, and we, it's and remember, uh, people, uh, Russ and I are both police officers. Yeah. So besides, you know, going out and catching bad guys uh, and, and coming up with content, we have court and everything else. Yeah. We have to testify against all the bad guys we get. Yes. So um, we do apologize, uh, and that's why we do ask for your uh, Patreon support. Each. Sure. You know, believe it or not, cops don't make that much here. Not a lot of money. No. Nope. <laughs> not in southeast Kansas. Well, okay, until next time, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. And as always, happy tanking and have a great week. All right, Cat, it's all you, man. Get off the damn mouse, Cat. Nope, you're going to have to pick her up and move her. Get off the mouse. You have just been a pain in the ass oh, today. Good Lord, quit. You have been a pain.